When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Walmart Plus members save on meeting up with friends. Save on having them over for dinner with free delivery with no hidden fees or markups. That's groceries plus napkins plus that vegetable chopper to make things a bit easier. Plus, members save on gas to go meet them in their neck of the woods. Plus, when you're ready for the ultimate sign of friendship, start a show together with your included Paramount Plus subscription. Walmart Plus members save on this plus so much more. Start a 30-day free trial at walmartplus.com. Paramount Plus, a central plan only. Separate registration required. See Walmart Plus terms and conditions. During the whole time that he was recruiting me, he never talked to me. He was talking directly to my mother. Mm-hmm. And he said, you know, I'm, and I'll never forget, he said, I'm off your, I'm off for you and your son three things. He said, A, he's going to be a gentleman. B, I'll teach him everything that I know about basketball. And C, he'll get a great education. This is Center Court with Hall of Fame basketball player Ralph Sampson. Center Court is presented by the Winner's Circle Network in conjunction with the Sampson Family Foundation, striving to uplift, empower, and educate the communities we live in. Now here's Ralph and your host, Mac McDonald. Welcome in to Center Court with Ralph Sampson. I'm Mac McDonald on the Winter Circle Network. Happy 2021 to everybody. And as we dive into January, boy, stick a, a great guest today. And I can't wait to get inside this guy's mind and somebody you know very well. Uh, I've been knowing him since 1979. So great person, a friend, um, NBA Hall of Famer, a champion, uh, all-star, you name it, he's done it. So I look forward to this interview. And I guess we ought to say it's Isaiah Thomas. A lot of people get no, a lot of people could probably figure Isaiah Thomas, who was part of the bad boys and a couple NBA championships. And and I know he'll have a lot to say about, uh, you know, what's going on in this day and age. And, but boy, they, they started a lot of things. The bad boys were, you know, they started to associate with the Raiders. They started to wear silver and black t-shirts to warm up in. They were wearing suits to games. They were staying in five-star hotels. The bad boys were doing a lot for the NBA at that time. Well, they brought a different culture to the mm-hmm. NBA, a, a tough, rugged culture. I mean, they had to beat, you know, the likes of Larry Bird and Kevin McHale and Robert Parrish and that crew to get over the hump, right? Year after year after year, they tried, but Larry and those guys kind of beat them up a little bit. So they had to have a tougher mentality. So you bring in a Bill Lambeer, a Rick Mahorn, you know, a John Sally, a, a Dennis Rodman, and you got a cast of characters that fit in together. And you throw Isaiah and Joe Dumars in there, you got, you know, all kinds of players that are all-star Hall of Fame type players that can play together, play hard, but also win championships. Ralph, when you were in the league, was it still – as physical as it was, you know, when you watch some of those, you know, some of those championships and what they were doing, and especially the bad boys, was the league pretty physical? Oh, my God, yeah. So, I mean, you know, in college, I played against the Russians twice. Tachinkov was one year and uh-huh. some bonus were the next. And those were the 
two most physical games I had in college. Uh, maybe Buck Williams was one of them as well, but those two I had bruises on my body <laughs> after the game. But the NBA, you play against Rick Mahorn and Lambert every night, Robert Parrish and Kevin McHale, you know, from Bill Walton to Kareem Abdul-Jabbar to Artis Gilmore to Moses Malone. It was so, so physical in the paint because there was a lot of post-ups. Mm-hmm. Today's game, you don't see any post-ups. So you can drive down through the lane and get to the basket all you want. We had a no layup rule and a no dunk rule. <laughs> so you came down through the lane. Isaiah will tell you as well. You came down the lane. You had to pay the price for that. Wow. Did that tell you when you were playing the right? And I remember those games because I had to know all the names, uh, you know, as an announcer, which was not easy. Did that tell you, did the, did the Russian games tell you, wow, this is what the league could be like? I didn't know, but I knew that it would be physical. I mean, they had big body, seven foot guys, but I didn't know what the league would be like. Mm-hmm. But I knew that, you know, those games were brutal. But so I could reflect back when I got to the NBA. My first game in the NBA, first regular season game in the NBA was against Artis Gilmore. Oh, man. Uh, and actually, we had played against Artis in the exhibition game down in Norfolk, Virginia at the Scope. And he actually educated me in an exhibition game, like big fella, you got to squat down lower. He took his left hand and put it on my waist and moved me anywhere he wanted to go. But uh, You were a piece of furniture. I was a piece of furniture. He could move me anywhere. Strongest, the strongest human being I know. So Artis is a big man. But he taught me the game early on. And I, I, I mean, friends even today, but uh, mm-hmm. taught me the game and how to really position myself in the post because I was, you know, 225 pounds soaking wet. He was, you know, 390. I mean, it was crazy. Wow, that's great stuff. Well, today Isaiah Thomas and he ought to be, he ought to be really good. I mean, the whole and I'll give part of his bio now because he was the youngest of nine. He grew up in a very tough part of Chicago on the West Side, which was, uh, and you know, when he is interviewed a lot of times, he says, you know, I, I was waking up thinking about two things: where am I going to get food, and who am I going to fight? Because apparently, he said walking home from school was an ordeal. Because you'd look across the street and you knew if you had to cross the street, you knew more than likely there would be a fight. Well, you know, he took that mentality straight to the NBA, right? So it was good. Uh, but mm-hmm. yeah, those times I'm sure in Detroit were were tough. Uh, you know, Chicago, Detroit, where he's from, playing in both cities were tough. Uh, even sometimes today is still tough. But uh, growing up in that era, I can only imagine even you know, being from small town Harrisonburg. We didn't have the same things that they had as far as growing up tough. We had a lot of family, but mm-hmm. uh, it's interesting to see where he came from and to where he is today. He's our guest when we come back on Center Court with Ralph Sampson. It is the great Isaiah Thomas. Looking forward to this, and we'll return with Isaiah right after this. The mission for the Sampson Family Foundation is simple. We strive to uplift, empower, and educate the communities we live in. The foundation promotes charitable and community input, educational development, health and fitness, and scholarship opportunities. The Samson Family Foundation's initiatives focus on patients with cancer, educational scholarship programs, and give students guidance in science, technology, engineering, and mathematics. The Samson Family Foundation encourages limitless possibilities. Your financial support is tax deductible. To learn more, call 540 615-5097. The website is samsonfamilyfoundation.org. Uplift. Empower. Educate. It takes teamwork to make the dream work. 
The Winner's Circle Network and the Sampson Family Foundation present Center Court with Hall of Fame basketball star Ralph Sampson. Again, here's Ralph and Mac. Welcome into Center Court with Ralph Sampson. I'm Mac McDonald. We are privileged to have uh, to have this guy. Isaiah Thomas is with us, and it would take me most of the segment to read all his accomplishments. So I'm just going to slip him in, Ralph, as we go. Uh, but I can I can definitely begin with he was just one of the bad boys you know and yeah. had the great run with the Detroit Pistons and of course played with Indiana and uh playing for Bobby Knight and you met him at an early age and I just wish I would have been at the table with you and Isaiah talking about what college you were going to go to I bet that would have been a good conversation yeah we we go way back 1979 so um I would always tell the story uh Zeke when um you know, we, we probably had the best high school class ever, and everybody may dispute that, but you, you know what I'm talking about. Most definitely, most definitely. And, you know, I mean, when you when you think of our, our high school class and, the, you know, the, the pros that came out of that class and, and what they did, and also the, you know, the game changers that were in that class. Um, and I don't know about you, Rock, but I remember the first time that I, I saw Dominique Wilkins jump and, and James Worthy. I was like, whoa. Exactly, exactly. Two athletes like that before. I tell people all the time, though, that, uh, you know, the baddest dunker in that class was Antoine Carr. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I mean, Dominique can dump, but you remember Antoine Carr going all the way. He said, okay, just write it in and give him the, the trophy, right? Yeah. I remember we played a, a high school all star game. Uh, the Illinois team went down to Wichita. Uh, to play the Wichita uh, All-Stars. And they had Antoine, and they had this guy by the name of Ricky Ross. Oh, yeah, Ricky Ross. Oh, oh Lord, have mercy. <laughs> gave, gave, gave us 41. I still remember. Oh, Lord, still got that nightmare. I mean, he, he was killing us. I mean, he, he was good. He was really good. Yeah, Ricky Ross, the name of, uh, you know, from Ray McCoy, Ricky Ross. Yeah, Ricky Ross could play. Yeah, yeah, Ricky yeah. Ross could play. Isaiah, what was your first impression when you met Ralph? Well, I hadn't I hadn't really seen someone that tall before. I had heard of seven footers, but this was a different kind of seven footer. Uh, not only not only was he tall, but he had skill, like real skill. He can handle mm -hmm. the ball. He can shoot it from the perimeter. You know, everybody talk about Magic Johnson doing no look passes, but Ralph was doing it at seven four. You know, and and I was like, man, this is this is this is definitely different. You know, not only was it different. But then he was a, you know, he's a great guy. You know, he was, you know, a lot, a lot of times, you know, in high school, and Ralph, you know, definitely was the, the best high school player that in, in all era, uh, because of his, you know, not only his uniqueness, but also the, the type of person that he was. You know, he was caring, he was giving. Uh, he wasn't, he wasn't full of himself. So <laughs> when, when he really could have been, uh, because he was, he was really the king of all class. And there was nobody, you know, like Ralph, and there hasn't been anybody like him since. Uh, people have been compared to him, but there's really been nobody like him. Uh, so, you know, I was always impressed by just how kind he was to the little guy that I was. Yeah. <laughs> we, we we take it out, man. But you, but you again, that's a, that's a that's a great compliment. A great crazy class with Bowie and. We had seven, you know, seven footers, you know, in that class uh, playing in the uh, Capital Classic and all stuff like that. But it was crazy, crazy time. But always reminisce with you with that because I think it's the best class ever to play 
But I want to tell people that, you know, that mentality that, especially, I mean, you, you kind of led that charge, one of the toughest guards out there that ever played, because we had that grit, you know. It, today's guys don't have that grit. You know, how we were raised, how we had to come up in the neighborhoods to get to school and, you know, all your stories and all of mine as well. But I always compare the guard today to when we played, and then you compare the guards that when we played to previous, you know, they had another upbringing as well. But everybody always asks a question, I'm sure you get it all the time, that could they have played when we played? Probably not. Steph Curry and Damon Lillard, oh, there's some tough guys out there, right? But uh, you know you and Joe would have locked them down. Well, I, I think they, they all, we all could have played in each other's era. Um, I don't know how dominant we would have been in each other's era. Um, you know, like right now, a lot of the point guards are very dominant in this era. Uh, but in our era, you know, it was the it was the era of the big men. Like the big mm -hmm. men were the dominant were the dominant people, and you played like big men. Uh, you know, you, there was there was physicality, there was force. The offenses were set up where the big men, you know, you, there was you know always you know four to six people in the paint. Uh, defensively and offensively. So you had to be creative when you went to the basket. Uh, there was never just an empty lane. Uh, so it, it, it definitely would have been different. And, and back then, you, you definitely wouldn't have been able to shoot from your hip, your shot. Right. <laughs> back, back then, you had to have a, a high shot pocket. You either had to shoot it from up here or you had to shoot it off your shoulder. But you never really could come from your waist with your shot pocket and shoot it. Uh, because, you know, the, de the defense was allowed to get closer than they are allowed today. Uh, right now, you know, you can play with that ball in front of you, and everybody can. Back then, you know, you can do that to the side uh, because that defender was... Hand check. Yeah, not only hand check, but, you know, the defender was, like, right here on you, and, and they can get into you. And if you put that ball out in front of you and you kept it out there too long, uh, you know, that that ball was getting taken. Uh, I remember playing against Mo Chi first couple of years, you know, he's from Chicago. And so I would go through all my stuff, bro, I would shake, shake, shake. He <laughs> <laughs> wouldn't go nowhere. Yeah. And then as he got older, right, a couple of years later, uh, I was going through my stuff. And then, you know, we had to call play. So I was standing there, I was like, yeah, we, we motion, da, da, da. And then, you know, he was right here and he looked back up and he goes, you know, and we talking during the game, Ralph. He goes, three years ago, you know, I'd have took that. <laughs> <laughs> he, he slowed down a little bit, but uh, you, you mentioned you, you mentioned that because I, you know, I, over the years got a relationship with Mo as well. But you remember going through your stuff. You know, I remember you know trying to dribble at the big guy, right? And and, and uh, my high school coach would say, you got to play against the fastest point guard, and if you can bring the ball to the court, you can bring it in practice. You can do it in a game. But I know you was at like the MLK Center in, in, in Chicago and you had some good good Harlem Globetrotters, you know, teach you how to dribble and, and do that. And I know, uh, come back to that, come back to, you know, the family structure because I had a cousin that was also really the baddest basketball player in the state of Virginia, that we had that upbringing that I don't know if guys had that today like we had, right? We, we had tough love. And so I know where you're from. We talked about this, you know, many times over the years, but that dribbling, that, that, that Pat, I know where it came from. Why don't you explain that? Yeah, so I, I, I was taught uh, by, by, fortunately enough for, for myself, I, I went 
to the Dr. Martin Luther King Boys Club. Yep. Uh, and at that time, uh, the Harlem Globe Charters were, were in the area. And that's when I first met Coach McClendon. Coach McClendon uh, was a student of Naismith. Uh, he also worked with uh, Abe Saperstein, who was the founder of the Globe Charters. They would bring the Globe Charters over to the Martin Luther King Boys Club, and they would do uh, clinics. And so I learned how to, dri- how to dribble really from Marcus Haynes and Curly Neal. Those were the two guys who taught me how to dribble. So when you see me, you know, dribbling on my fingertips and dribbling with it low, falling on the ground, getting up, and, and all, yep. you know, all that comes from Curly Neal and, and Marcus Haynes. And how they taught you how to dribble. And then Coach McClendon, uh, he was the inventor of fast break basketball. Yeah. So he was teaching us, you know, how to how to run lanes and, and how to play in transition. So I was I, I learned all those things at a very young age. And fortunately enough for me, uh, the coaches and the mentors that I had in the neighborhood, they was all enforcing those things about how you play, how you think the game, how do you compete in the game. And basically, how do you move the chess pieces around the court? And if you remember, you know, Ralph, in terms of uh, the way the Globetrotters played, yep. I mean, they really had basketball down to a science. And I mean the science, I'm talking about physics, geometry, uh, you know, and, and, and the movement. Uh, because Meadowlock Lemon, if you remember, every single game, he would go to half court, right? And he would go right to the hash mark at half court. And he was shooting to do hook shot yeah. under pressure. Yeah. Right? You know, there's thousands of people in the building and he had to make this hook shot and he never missed. No. <laughs> so they, they understood the science of the game. And that's what we were taught at a very young age. Well, the great Isaiah- that you, you, you got that uh, training up there. So go ahead, Mac. I know. No, I was just going to say the great Isaiah Thomas is with us talking basketball and uh, Isaiah I've heard the story about your mom in the press conference and Bobby sitting at Bobby Knight sitting in your your living room. Uh, would you share that with our with our radio family because that's a it's a great story about the Bobby Knight recruitment of Isaiah Thomas. Yeah, well, 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 Ralph and I again we had, we had a similar upbringing, so you know, I'll, back then, you know, your your parents made the decision. <laughs> um, you know, I remember, uh, you know, Ralph and I were were both highly recruited. And, you know, all of us were offered all kinds of things and we were extremely poor. And so all our visits had to be in the daytime because we had no lights, uh, we had no, no gas, we had no food in the refrigerator. So, you know, Coach Knight came to visit, uh, you know, and he came at about four. And, and I'll never forget, like, um, we sitting there and you know, we didn't have uh, furniture, so we sitting on the couch, and he's actually sitting on the radiator. <laughs> <laughs> Holy, it was warm, right? Yeah, remember, remember yeah exactly. Right? Steam remember heat. Yeah, so so it, so it wasn't warm. So, but remember, you had to put like water in there so it could heat yep. up. And you close it down. So that was like our little, you know, that was our couch, so to speak. So he's sitting on there, and and Ralph, I'm sitting there, and I'm trying to play it off, but I never forget. It was a roach coming down <laughs> right behind, and I'm like, "Oh man, I hope there's nobody." I say, not today, not today. But but anyway, you know, they they uh, get to talking, and and um, he and my brother like you know get into it. But I remember my mom, you know, looking at at at, at coach, and you know, because coach was like, "Look, I'm gonna promise your son three things: 
A, he's going to get a good education. B, he's going to be a gentleman. And C, I'm going to teach him everything I know about basketball. Now, Rock, we, we poured in poor, right? And a lot of coaches that come to our house, they were offering money and everything else. So my brothers and I are like, well, okay, well, we're not going in. <laughs> you know, you right? can't go there. Okay, nobody's talking about no money, nobody's talking about no cars, nobody's talking about no jobs. I mean, well, we, we're not going to school there. And I remember sitting there, and my mom was like shaking her head, and I was like, this ain't gonna go well. <laughs> so fast forward, my mom, you know, they call a press conference to announce where you're going. Yeah. My mom had the press conference. I was sitting right next to her and she said, my son has made his decision. <laughs> <laughs> He's going to Indiana University to play for Coach Knight. And oh, wow. that's just kind of how it was. You know, you did what your mom and dad told you. And um, I'm lucky that, you know, she had that much influence and foresight uh, because, you know, I could have easily ended up at the wrong school with the wrong coach in the right situation. I, I, I look at Ralph and I see us, it could be 10 years since we've seen each other, mm -hmm. but there's a certain amount of respect yep. and humility that we always have treated each other with ever since the first day we met in high school. And that, and I believe that comes from family, coaching, upbringing, and just respect. Now, had I been, you know, given all this crazy stuff, my, my personality and my attitude probably would be totally different than it is today. Most kids that during that period of time, you know, you you say, hey, you had the press conference, I made my decision, I'm going to blank school, right? My mom called the press conference, me and her were sitting there, she said, my son has made his decision. <laughs> He's going to Indiana University. So your mom announced? My mom announced. I never it. heard it's that I was, before. No, I wasn't even smiling. I was, I was sitting there, my head was down. I was like. <laughs> Welcome back at Center Court with Ralph Sampson. We are pleased to have the great Isaiah Thomas with us, who was part of the uh, couple of championships with the Detroit Pistons. Now has got a, a wonderful company selling champagne and doing really some wonderful things as far as, uh, you know, philanthropy and, and, and social stuff. So we'll certainly get into that. Ralph. I just like seeing Isaiah smile. He look he looks like he's always, always. He looks like he's eighteen for goodness sake. Well, don't don't let the don't let the smile fool you. He always <laughs> smile, but he was gonna go at you with the dribble on the court. So, you know, he he knew that game well, but that, that smile has never changed. But uh, you know, speaking about that smile and the, and the whole ability to have that mentality, because we could talk basketball forever, you know, games and situation. But I'm more into what what we do here is the mentality of you, the success. And we talk about growing up with your brothers, your mom, et cetera. And I did the same thing with my sisters and cousins. One of my cousins were, were the uh, baddest basketball player in Virginia. They call him Virginia Slim. He scored 60 points a night in three quarters in high school. And he sat down like, I don't want to play anymore because we went about 20. But, you know, he passed away due to some drug issues. And I had him in John Lucas' center when I got to the NBA, the whole deal. But that mentality that we, we share that we know. And the humility that we both have, and all the play—I mean, words, all the guys we know in that in those '79 class have the same similar aspects as well. But where did that come from? You know, after driving you that some people may have asked you in interviews because I know you do this every day. But there's something in there in you that we can do and share with these young kids out here that maybe listen to this that you got from somewhere 
that said I can be good because we, we I know you say the same thing that I would say. I didn't want to be, I didn't play to be a Hall of Famer. I didn't play to be any of that, right? I played because we love this game to play, right? We want to kill people when we played it, though. <laughs> so what, where did that come from? It came from somewhere. Somebody gave it to you somewhere. But, you know, just, just like just like your, your family, uh, you know, my, my brothers and, and, and in the neighborhood, uh, you know, you always had to compete. And, and no matter what size you were, you always had to play to win the basketball game. So guys who were always taller than myself, um, you know, how do you, how do you make the game neutral? So you got a chance to win it, right? And there was always people that can jump higher, run faster. But once you eliminate all the, the, the genetic gifts that the individuals may have, uh, how do you bring it back to the science of the game? And how do you play chess? How do you compete? You know, who's the weak link on the court? Yeah, exactly. Who's a bad defensive player? Are they playing zone? Are they playing man to man? If they're in a the zone, which player are they trying to hide? What can you get a shot at? So you're trying to think your way through the game and learning how to think your way through the game. Then you find the, out that the opponent, oh, some of them can't think. <laughs> <laughs> they can't spell one thing, no. And they can't think long. And then it just goes back to the classroom. Okay, every classroom, you know, it, 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 you know, every class is 45 minutes. Why is it 45 minutes? It's because, you know, once you get past that 45 minute, okay. people's minds start to drift. And then there's some people in class after 15 minutes, their minds start to drift. Well, I went into the basketball game trying to find that individual that I can break his mental concentration every single time. And once you find that weak link, then you just exploit it. That's how I played the game. That's how I thought the game. Uh, and, and then you try to uplift your teammates concentration level so they can concentrate for two hours, two and a half hours, every time you walk out on the floor. Well, you know, in the NBA you played, and I'm sure the coach you had as well, we had in Houston, you played against, you, you picked that uh, sacrificial lamb out of the five that you played against, and you go post his tail up every time you get a chance until the coach takes him out. And so I know the bad boys did that. I know we did it in Houston, and we, we found somebody like that. You just drive him until they take him out, give the ball to him every time until they stop you, right? You know, Ralph, you, you, you talk about, you know, my success in the NBA, but let's not, let's not, let, let's not uh, you know, uh, discard what you did because, you know, in all class, you, you and James Worthy, y'all were the first one to get to the final. Uh, where'd you go in? It was in 86? Yes. Yeah. 80, and I, I never forget, um, so y'all in the finals in 86, and, it, and, and I'm like, damn, ain't nobody ever going to win. Like, ain't nobody ever going to be, I mean, it's you, Elijah Wan, you know, Robert Reed. I mean, y'all had it going. And, and when you talk about that weak link, right, what the Celtics were able to do is find that, that, that weak link and was able to exploit it, you know, in 86. And then you, I think you get, you get, you get hurt in 87. Yeah. 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 And, and that's, and that's kind of what ended the, you know, that run, but had you not got hurt, you know, I don't know if the, the Celtics and all that during that period of time, and even the bad boys coming up, we didn't, we wouldn't, we never would have beat you and Elijah Wan and, and, and all that stuff that y'all had together. I mean, we, we just wouldn't have been good enough. And y'all had knocked off the Lakers. The Lakers probably never would have came back, uh, even though they had Magic, Kareem, and everybody else. But 
nobody had, and I'm, I'm saying three people. Like we used to call Hakeem and Elijah Wan. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. It was Hakeem and Elijah Wan, and then Ralph Sampson, right? So the three of you, the way that y'all were blocking shots and running, and you know, they're talking about the Twin Towers back then, you know, Mikhail against pa Mikhail and Paris, and yep. you know, Elijah Wan and Young Guns coming up. I mean, what y'all had going, it, it would have been impossible to stop had you not got injured. So, yeah, we come along in 88, <laughs> okay? But, you know, let's talk about, you know, 85, 86, you know, what, what you were doing and how you came into the league and, and, and how you truly changed the game and the scope of what was going on. So, yeah, let's, let's not overlook, you know, the history and let's not overlook the facts of your great sure. career also. Yeah, thank you for that. Yeah, but you know, we were we were always. I mean, we 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 the ones that we didn't have a guard. I mean, we should we should we should trade it for you or something. We 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 needed a guard because we never had one. Well, I didn't want to say the weak link. <laughs> <laughs> well, you, but you already knew that. Well, we love Allen Level. I mean, oh, exactly, exactly. He exactly. can only go one way. He can only go right. Yeah, and in terms of talent, you know, when you get into the finals. They find out, you know, I mean, Nate Archibald, you know, Dennis Johnson, all them guys, I mean, they, they, they find out quick what you can and what you can't do. And then they gonna funnel everything to that one spot. Absolutely. And that, and that, that hurt y'all. However, you know, y'all still got to the finals. Well, that created the, uh, back in the day, the point forward. Yeah. Robert Reed and Ryder McCray bring the ball up against the Lakers with Mitchell Wiggins guarding yeah. Magic from the end to end in the Western Conference Finals. And then we had Lewis Lloyd. I mean, and, you know, and we those guys had some you know personal issues as we as we all know. But we lose John Lucas, we lose Mitchell Wiggins, we lose Mitchell. I mean, we we, we go in the point forward. Robert Reed bring the ball up the court. Yeah. You know, against against the, Michael Cooper and the crew. So that was crazy. Hey, y'all y'all did something in that in that NBA final that you know is is overlooked in history. And I and I never thought I would ever see this because. I was a Celtic and a Lakers student right. watching them play. In the NBA Finals, I think y'all held Bird to nine points. Yep. I don't think he got double figures in the NBA. In one game, yep. And, and I was like, how could that be? How, what, what did they do? So, <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm watching a film and a tape and everything else, and, and that's when I was like, Oh man, he, this this team gonna be a problem for a long, long time. <laughs> yeah, we 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 had it moving. Yeah, they just didn't keep it together. But I, I get that. I appreciate that. But yeah, we would we would Robert Reed, as as you mentioned earlier, you would find a way to get under somebody's skin, and he didn't like Larry Bird at all. So Larry would come to the games early, like two three hours early, just to get some shots up. Yeah. Robert Reed tried to beat him every game to the gym early, sleep in the locker room the whole day. And that didn't be so mad. He got there, and that's what happened that game. He got he finally beat him to the game early, and Larry was so mad that he didn't play well. You know, and it's like when people talk about the '80s basketball, right? They they give so much credit to like the Celtics and the Lakers, but you know, we're we're talking about our team in the '80s. We're talking about your team in the '80s. Then you had the Dallas Mavericks in the yep, '80s. Yep. You know, you, you had a lot of great teams, Seattle. I mean, so, it, it, you know, from a talent perspective, you know, our class that came from 79 that came into the NBA and how we spread out to the yep. NBA in different, in different cities, in my opinion, that's what elevated the NBA. Yep, I agree with that. 
Although Magic and 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 Bird uh, and the Celtics and the Lakers get a lot of credit, mm-hmm. you look at the attendance records and you look at the highest rated games in the eighties. Uh, a lot of those games were all games. Right, right. I agree with that. I mean, you had you had Julius coming in, and the league was squatting a little bit. Then Magic and Bird, like you said, brought it in together with Converse and the whole deal. But then, like I said, we we had the influx of. I don't know how many guys in our class in the Hall of Fame, but we, we had at least 20, 20 guys that were you know high school, college, NBA players in, in that roster. So I think we did the same thing as well. I, pre, I, I would agree with that. You know, Isaiah, you were talking about the Detroit Pistons and learning leadership. And with that, you know, with all that bad boys mantra and everything, and you guys were marketing with the Raiders and, and doing all that stuff. But weren't you growing as an individual? Because you were talking about the leadership and Ralph was talking about that. Were you growing as a person watching what was going on with the floor, even though there were some blood and guts involved in some of that? 100%, you know, basketball is a game you never master. And and you are, and I was taught, you are a forever learner. So when I came into the NBA, the two teams that I was studying, uh, really going to school on was the Lakers and the Celtics. And and fortunately enough for me, Magic Johnson uh, was a great friend. And not only was he a great friend, but he also let me into their inner sanctum in terms of learning what they do, how they practice, how they play. And then Kevin McHale also was a great friend also. And uh, McHale was letting me see what was going on within the Celtics organization. And fortunately enough for me, uh, again, uh, playing against the Celtics, losing against the Celtics, uh, but every time we lost, there was a lesson learned. Uh, and, you know, being at those NBA final games, watching the Lakers and the Celtics play, uh, watching, you know, the, the mistakes that people would make, uh, and then seeing them bounce back. I can remember, um, you know, I believe it was, um, I want to say it was probably, uh, 84 or 85, uh, Magic Johnson dribbling out the shot clock and, you know, they calling him Tragic Johnson. Tragic man. Yeah, yep. and, and he had to live through a whole year of that. And then he comes back the next year and, and he overcomes that. And then the following year, they're in the finals and James Worthy makes an a, a inbound pass. Right. And Gerald Henderson steals the ball, lays it up. And then James Worthy had to bounce back from that. Well, fast forward, guess what? Isaiah Thomas makes an inbound pass. Harry yep. Bird steals it. Yep. Dennis Johnson lays it up. And the next year, guess what? I have to bounce back from that. But if I don't watch Magic, if I don't watch Worthy, if I don't watch Bird, Dennis Johnson, you know, Mikhail, if I'm not learning from all of that and being a, a, being a good student, then I don't know how to put that into my game and then bounce back, not only from a playing standpoint, but also from a leadership standpoint. Well, that's a hard, uh, I mean, they went back to Havlicek stole the ball, Havlicek stole the ball to, 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 to Larry Bird to Dennis Johnson, so history repeated itself again. But that's a long year from, you know, that those passes, those mistakes, those losing the championship to the next season and trying to get it back. So that, that summer had to be brutal. It, it, was, a, it was a rough summer. Not, not only was it a, a rough summer, it was a rough uh, game night after game five. Because, Ralph, I had just made the winning shot. Yes. And then I throw the ball away. Right, right. And in this game five of the series, that's that's the that's the breaking point. And that, yep. you know, that 
that that eighty seven team, right? Uh, you know that that is that Celtic team was considered, you know, one of the best teams ever. Mm-hmm. Well, we almost had that team beat in the series. That's how good a basketball team we were at that time. Huh. Uh, and so we lose that, and you know, I don't, you know, I'm I'm just devastated. How about this? The next morning, I don't want to go to practice. You know, I'm embarrassed. I'm ashamed. Phone call comes to my house and, you know, my wife comes in and she goes, is somebody that want to talk to you? And I'm like, no, nah, I don't, I don't, <laughs> don't want to talk to nobody. She goes, no, nah, I think you need to take this call. And, you know, when your wife looks at you and it's like, okay, well, I, I better take this. One. Right, right. <laughs> so I get on the phone and it's Bill Russell on the other line. Mm. He said, you had a rough fall, young man, but you got to get up and keep moving. Wow. Wow, right? Yeah, well, no question about that. So now we get to game six at the Silverdome. The first person who walks up to me, right, is ML Carr. And I'm thinking he getting ready to like, you know, you're not ML. Yeah, he going to talk noise. ML walked up to me in the layup line. He grabbed me, hugged me, right? You all right? You all right? (laughs) It it pushed me off, right? And so now, now the jump ball, we walk out to the jump ball. Larry Bird looks at me and he gives me the wink, like, you know, as if to say, you all right. DJ gives me the pat on the back, and we on. We win game six, go to Boston and lose game seven. But that's how, you know, when you talk about teachers and brotherhood, that's how great the Celtics were to us. Yeah, I mean, that's a brotherhood from that perspective as well. I mean, it's, it's, you, you have those games, you, you were rivals on the court, but you, you, know, you respected each other you know, off the court as well. So anyway, we'll get to that respect, but I know you got other things. I mean, we could talk basketball for, for days as well, but I know out there international, just tell me what, you, I, I know the champagne, and we were trying to get you to do a, the, the first year of toast, but how is that going? I see some in the back on the, on the, on the, on the, on the day there, like I got to get some more of that, but... How did all that happen, and then where are you today? Because I know you're doing those stuff that people may not know about, but also, and I know where your heart is with the passion and with the charitable stuff you do as well. Well, Ralph, you and I, again, we come from similar backgrounds, and we come in at the same time, and, and we were we were always taught that, you know, this, this money that you're making is not going to last you forever. you got to find a way to, uh, you know, be, be an entrepreneur and, uh, Al McGuire used to always say, uh, don't let basketball use you, Right. use basketball. So what I tried to do is learn as much as I can about business while I was playing, uh, being the president of the Players Association, and thank you for your vote. Uh, <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> uh, just, you know, just learning as much about business as I possibly can or could during a very young age. And I uh, started my firm in uh, 1992. Uh, Isaiah International. Our first acquisition was American Speedy Printing. Uh, We had 700 quick print chains across the United States. Uh, My business background is in startups and turnarounds. Uh, American Speedy Printing, uh, buying it out of bankruptcy was a turnaround. And then my next acquisition actually was uh, the Toronto Raptors. Uh, I retired in 94 uh, and was a co-founder and and co-owner of the Toronto Raptors. Uh, that was a startup. The NBA uh, decided that they were going to move outside of the international borders and they awarded two franchises, one in Toronto, the other in Vancouver. 
took my business background and uh, executed a startup in Toronto. Happy to say there's only one uh, MBA team outside of the USA now, um, uh, and that's uh, the Toronto Raptors. Vancouver Grizzlies uh, failed in Vancouver, and now they're in Memphis. Uh, so that was successful, what we did in Toronto. And, and then just kept moving. So right now in the champagne space, uh, I'm the largest owner, uh, African-American owner importer of champagne in the world. Got 200 acres over in the old region of Champagne, which is the oldest region of Champagne. Uh, the name of my Champagne is Sherlin, C-H-E-U-R-L-I-N. The reason why we call it Sherlin is named after the, the, Sharp, the Thomas Sherlin family, who's our Champagne maker. And the family's been making uh, Champagne since 1788. So when you go to Sherlin.com, you'll see uh, 1788. That's because the it goes nine, ten generations of champagne makers. We're known for our low sugar and zero sugar champagnes. Uh, the first press of the grape, there are three presses of the grape in champagne. Uh, the first press is the best press. Uh, what most of the champagnes that come here in the United States, they're second and third press of the grape. Uh, we're the largest volume producer of first press grape uh, champagne in the United States. We only use three grapes, uh, the Pinot Noir grape, Pinot Blanc grape and the Chardonnay grape. Those are the only three grapes that we use in our champagnes. We do not use the Pinot Monet grape, which is a fast-growing grape uh, in the Champagne region that uh, some of the, the, the leading marketed brands uh, use that grape. We do not use that grape in our champagne. All right, Isaiah, I got to ask, is it tougher to turn around an NBA <laughs> franchise or tougher to turn around a business? <laughs> You know, that, that, that is a great question. Uh, and, and I would say uh, it's, it's, it's probably tougher to turn around an NBA franchise uh, from my experiences. So uh, coming into the Detroit Pistons, you look at the Detroit Pistons, and that would be a turnaround mm -hmm. from a business perspective. It took us, uh, you know, seven, eight years before we reached the top. Then from a coaching standpoint, uh, coming into a, uh, from, to a team trying to turn around and uplift a team or an organization from a coaching and a management standpoint. Uh, you know, you have to deal with the personnel, the, only the 15 players that you have. Right. Then the, the talent, uh, the unique talent that you're looking for, it's, it's, it's so rare, you know, finding a James Harden, you know, those are rare. Finding Elijah Wan and a Ralph Sampson, these people come along every 30 to 40 years. Mm -hmm. uh, it's not like they grow on trees. So when you when you find that type of talent, then you have to nurture it. But trying to find it is extremely difficult and extremely rare. It takes time to do it. And while you're looking for it, then you kind of have to, you know, piece it together. So I would say turning around a, an NBA team from my from my standpoint uh, is, is much harder than, than doing it. Um, in, in the business world. Yeah, I mean, Tim, you got players you might not want, but they got a contract that's locked in and you got to trade them and you can't trade them. And business, you can just fire somebody. You know, let's, <laughs> let's, let's get rid of you and let's do this thing, get them wipe the slate clean, right? Which I'm, I'm sure you did on some occasions, right? You got to get, get people out there and get the people you want. But we didn't say we fired them. We well, didn't. okay, we let them go. <laughs> <laughs> then, you know, you come in, you cut expenses. And, yeah, you know, yeah, there you go, there you go. It, it's about, you know, it's about revenue and expenses. How much revenue are we generating and how much expenses are we expending if if your expense line is higher than your revenue line, then we got to make some cuts. <laughs> <laughs> you know?
But I will make some cuts. I will tell you what helped me though is being in sport uh, and having to make cuts, you know, or not making a team. It definitely helps you when it comes to, you know, looking at the expense line and saying, okay, we got to make some cuts. Some of those are, you know, sometimes it may be human capital that you may have to cut, that you may have to, you know, rid yourself of. Where in sport, right, we know that human capital in terms of who we are, right. if you ain't good enough, hey, man, you get cut. You get cut, you're done. <laughs> you don't make the team. Exactly. So thank you so much, Isaiah, very, very much. We appreciate your time. Thank Absolutely. Thanks, man. Appreciate you, brother. No, thank you. Thank you so much. We'll be in touch. To get into sports casting, you need experience just to get your foot in the door. I can't tell you how many times in my career somebody will ask me, how do I get into your business? How do I become a sportscaster? The first thing I ask is, what have you done? Do you have any experience? And the answer is normally nothing yet. It's because they couldn't find a program that provided the real world experience that you need to get started. So I set out to create a program designed for the next wave of sportscasting talent. And my partner was an obvious one. Full Sail University, great track record in entertainment and media, great alumni group, and the ability to evolve as the industry changes. We're offering a bachelor's degree that combines the professional expertise that my fellow sportscasters and I have built our careers on with the technologies shaping the world of sports. To succeed in this business, you have to be ready for what's next. But the core of great sportscasting I don't think will ever change. And this program brings it all together. Circle Network and the Sampson Family Foundation present Center Court with Ralph Sampson. Uplift, empower, educate. Welcome back to Center Court on the Winter Circle Network. I'm Mac McDonald with Ralph Sampson. And Ralph, what a terrific visit with uh, really one of the greats in the game of basketball, Isaiah Thomas, and all that he has meant really uh, to the world, not only to the game, but now private enterprise. And he's just a, a terrific, terrific guy. Well, he's a, he's a survivor in, in, in the good spirit of the word, right, from growing up uh, and going through some things that he grew up to fight his way through to becoming an NBA player, college champion, mm-hmm. Hall of Famer, all-star, uh, and now in the business world, you know, after many years of uh, in the business world and doing great things, but now really found a niche in Isaiah International uh, with his uh, beverage that he has and champagne and all the other great things he's doing, not only in this country, but around the world. What do you remember the first time you met him? Because I know you told the story about meeting him, at, uh, you know, before the Pan Am Games at that time. And you guys were, what, you guys were freshmen, right? Um, he was freshman at Indiana and you, of course, at UVA. What do you remember about meeting him for the first time? Well, just, you know, um, uh, you know, I, I'm coming into Bloomington, Indiana, as we speak a little bit of. Mm-hmm. And um, just uh, trying to play in the Pan American Games at the high school senior and Bobby Knight had just signed Isaiah and Isaiah wanted to go there but I hadn't signed yet mm-hmm. I hadn't signed and, and said I was coming to Virginia yet so obviously they tried to persuade me to come to Indiana I was gonna Isaiah say Bobby Knight had to have a pitch yeah, right he, he tried to have a pitch and he went through that whole process which was great but uh, you know Isaiah was there and we talk about it all the time when we see each other but uh, come to Indiana and then you know playing in high school all-american games um, you know around the country at that point in time you know, with Isaiah and all the other great players in the class of 1979. Uh, we just had a bond back then, even all the guys today, from James Worthy to Clark Kellogg and all those guys were in the same class. 
So we had a great time and good fun trying to figure out where everybody was going to go in that mm-hmm. class because we have some great talent. I can imagine or, you know, would like to imagine the conversations that you guys uh, would have come here, play here. What about this coach? What about this program? There was pro- Did you have a lot of information? Was there, was there a lot of program information that you could at least learn or share? It wasn't, I mean, obviously it's not like it is today with all the mm-hmm. social media and all the stuff you have out there, but, you know, you didn't have cell phones, right? So the coaches had to call you at your parents' house and or your high school coach's house. So the high school wow. coach was, was the key. It wasn't mm-hmm. the AAU coaches and all those people out there that we have today, but the high school coach was the key. And so I know Isaiah and myself as well had great high school coaches, but we didn't get the phone calls unless you let the coaches call you at home which, you know, we had the Samson rules with Coach Roger Berger where they couldn't call us at home. But uh, the games were fun to play in high school because in every freaking game that we played in, there were 25 or 30 high school college coaches in that wow. gym that we saw every night. So that was the fun part. That, that wanted that wanted 5-0 on their roster. I yeah, can imagine. Wow. Well, Terry Holland and the Virginia program, pretty lucky. Stick, have a wonderful week. It's been fun. Isaiah Thomas was outstanding. Follow us all over the place. Uh, the podcast, uh, the radio show. It's great that we have you. We're starting to build kind of, uh, you know, a nice audience, getting a lot of nice feedback, and that's always good to hear from us. And uh, Stick, I guess people can email you. Can they email you and drop you a line? Email the uh, info at wcventures.com. They can look at uh, all the podcasts shows yeah. on stitcher and itunes and spotify and the believe network so yeah like us on uh, all of our channels and stay tuned for more and let our radio stations know how much fun it is to hear Absolutely. ralph Sampson in center court i'm mac mcdonald have a great week you've been listening to center court with hall of fame basketball player ralph Sampson. Our podcast is available on the Believe Network at BLEAV.com. Center Court is presented by the Winner's Circle Network and the Sampson Family Foundation. For more information, log on to SampsonFamilyFoundation.org. Uplift. Empower. Educate. Teamwork makes the dream work. Walmart Plus members save on meeting up with friends. Save on having them over for dinner with free delivery with no hidden fees or markups. That's groceries plus napkins plus that vegetable chopper to make things a bit easier. Plus, members save on gas to go meet them in their neck of the woods. Plus, when you're ready for the ultimate sign of friendship, start a show together with your included Paramount Plus subscription. Walmart Plus members save on this plus so much more. Start a 30-day free trial at walmartplus.com. Paramount Plus is central plan only. Separate registration required. See Walmart Plus terms and conditions. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done.